a shame. You always had a situation in a big way, man. myself sometimes when I need to be properly different. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, welcome to the lockdown. Tonight, we have a special guest in attendance. Yusuf Gulam Hossein, a school teacher with a penchant for strangling people. He's a BJJ competitor <laughs> who is a lover of all things written. Yusuf is going to talk to us tonight about his lockdown life, love, Happiness and the path of the righteous man. Welcome, <laughs> Yusuf. Welcome. Just before we start, though, remember, all the things in our podcast are our own opinions and none of that of our employers. So please, do leave us alone. We're just having a chat. Don't welcome, Yusuf. Welcome, Yusuf. Welcome, welcome. One of my bromances. All bromances. When your producer, you? when your producer kind of uh, told me about this podcast, I was led to believe it was going to go out on Radio Four. And when I came on this evening, man, I'm looking at all you guys, and I think to myself, what am I, what on earth am I doing? So, uh, yeah, bloody hell. Ooh. What you probably do is listen to us talk a bit, watch Kerry get told off by his wife quite a lot. <laughs> 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 my my and, little one's got a fever. She's just come downstairs, mate. That's what it is. So you're oh. going to have to run off uh, every now and again. Oh, Are we socially card. distanced enough from you? Is that is more cowbell? Yeah. This, is, this is the point. Can you social distance via the internet properly? Uh, I, I'm not so sure. I, I <laughs> certainly can. Good evening. <laughs> Uh, Good evening, lovely, Yusuf. Lovely How to see you all. the devil are you? First question for you, sir, is yeah. how has lockdown life been treating you? Um, are you a furloughed man? Are you a man of furlough? Or are you still uh, conducting the good educational work that you normally do as a teacher of the children of UK? Of the UK. I, I, I have been looking after the children of the UK. Um, so I've been working, um, uh, and, and because of the, the, the rotors and all that kind of thing, it's been like two days of the week over that sort of like first, second or eight weeks of the lockdown. And, um, we would go in and, um, uh, well, and, and everything happened in the nursery and there was about seven or eight kids and, uh, that was really good fun because we just like did painting and drawings and then they did their homework and stuff. And I took them out the back and, um, taught them on how to skateboard and so I've got this like group of girls who are you know like between like well between seven and like ten years old and they can all skate around the uh the, you know the playground and or, or we, we had about five skateboards in and um you know and all, everyone's standing around thinking oh my god it's health and safety and I'm thinking no this is exactly what they should be doing the sun is out the sky is blue and you know man they've learned the skateboard and I don't yeah. think they'd ever get really a chance to do that. So it's been really good. Dare Amazing. I say, 
it's been really good fun. It's been like they've been getting like a private education. They'd have like, what, four or five adults in who are all just doing their bits and pieces and uh, we're all kind of like bringing something to the table. Yeah. Um, what, what, what's been the situation? So are these all key worker children, I presume? Or a lot of them are key worker children? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and actually... Um, so, so there's been about like eight of them who have been on a regular basis, and their parents, I think, are just working uh, in hospitals. And you know, there, there's a couple who, you know, who, whose parents are doctors, and, and and some who are like physios who are still working in the NHS and stuff. So, uh, you know, and and it's interesting because I think the area that I work in uh, is Tottenham, and um, it's a place of sort of like high kind of like social deprivation, poverty, and things like that, and. And actually, the reality is, is that people need to get out and, and they do need to get to work. So, you know, there, there is that kind of thing of, um, you know, the lockdown has happened. And actually, you know, I think in the first few weeks of it, I mean, it was like eerie, wasn't it? It was like 28 days later, you know, the streets were just empty. And then suddenly it's like, uh, what's, that other, what's that Tom Cruise movie where, uh, you know, the, everything, uh, the aliens get killed by the birds? You know that one? That's War of the Worlds, is it that one? Uh, that is, uh, War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's all the birds. So you see, you begin to see all the birds, and then because it's been such a sunny summer, you know, the trees have been in bloom, and nature has been growing. Look at me, I'm beautiful, aren't I? Mm. Um, so, yeah, lost my train of thought. Where would we go with that one? Well, he was just talking to you about, but interestingly, I'm probably going to get a bit heavy straight away because you mentioned Tottenham and I was um uh I was I was gonna say I was a part of the Tottenham riots I wasn't part of the Tottenham riots I'm not not as a participant <laughs> um looting the WH Smiths for the uh, notepads <laughs> but top I mean I was there for the Tottenham riots and it was a pretty savage time um You'll remember that, Yusuf, um, having been there at the time. No, what no, is... no, actually, I wasn't there at the time. You really. not? No, not sort of like that. That was kind of like how how long ago was that? Two thousand eleven. Was a top right. Two thousand eleven. Oh, no. really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jam. Shit, that was then. Sorry, I was thinking like the nineteen eighties or something. Like no, you're that. thinking the Brixton Brixton riots. Right. Yes, top yes. Rights were the, the more latest ones. Now they were the they were the result of um, a death of a man called Mark Duggan, and the, and, it, and the and the protest. Well, you can't really call it a protest because it was a fully blown riot. Um, was yeah. born out of you know racial tension between people and the police. What has been the feeling in Tottenham with what's been going on uh, with this? Is there is there been any noticeable unrest of you, when you've been travelling to work and things like that? Has it, have you seen uh, it? No, I can't say that I've, I've noticed anything. Um, uh, I need to think about that one. That's a good one. Uh, no, not really. Do you know what? The, the the only kind of stuff that I've seen is online, and it kind of gets mm. all a bit out of hand, doesn't it? Um, yeah. You know, and. Um, and actually, you know, uh, quite early on in the lockdown, I decided to turn off the news and I'm sort of like living in a little bit of a bubble at the moment. So I don't really know where we're at, you know, um, in terms of sort of like 
you know what's going on in the world. Obviously, I know that, that you know that there's uh, uh, there's been the death in America, uh, but I can't say that anybody's been rioting in the streets around Tottenham. Or, okay. Well, let, let, me, let, me, let me get your opinion on this then, because I think it's just a bit topical, and I just wanted to start off with something. Not. Yeah. Just, it could be heavy, but it, I don't, it's more topical than anything. Uh, so, you, so although you haven't been watching the media, you are aware that some statues have been and some statues have been defaced, and there have been yeah. the tearing down of one particular statue in Bristol, and it got thrown in the river. As a man who does, I presume, appreciate history and things like that, how do you view? the cleansing of statues, monuments, things like that, because there are a lot of petitions going around and some are being removed, rightly or wrongly. What is your sort of thought process on, um, I suppose, um, objects influencing, like, um, you know, culture and current affairs and things like that? That is a deep and heavy question. Um, you know, last year I was in, uh, I think it was Corfe Castle, and um, just walking around the little village there, and um, which is obviously a beautiful place. Um, in one of the shop windows, there was uh, a big display, and it was uh, to do with the uh, the gollywog, you know, from, do you remember the, on the jam jars? Yeah. Um, and there was a whole display up in the window of, um, you know, books and drawings and everything to do with it. And, and it was really re- interesting because my reaction was like, you know, fucking hell. Um, you know, because it, it kind of brought those sort of like those childhood memories of what those things are uh, and what they represent to people of colour in this country. Um, and they were used to, you know, um, <clears throat> as, you know, to, you know, just a racist way. That's what people of colour feel about those things. Um, and it was interesting because some, you know, other people walked by and they kind of like were looking at it and they were just laughing. And, and, and you know, I don't think it kind of meant the same thing to them because they wouldn't have understood it. And it's like what's going on in America and all this kind of like, you know, um, what is it you know trying to find a remedy for kind of structural racism it's you know by sticking a plaster over it you're just not going to do it it's so ingrained in the dna of the people you know um in in this country you know sort of like you know people of color all you know came here in different waves in different periods and they faced all sorts of sort of um discrimination you know it wasn't no, like no no mix no blacks or no jews or something like that you know those posters on the wall um so the the pulling down of statues coming back to the question um you know i i, I sit there and i sometimes think it's good to have a little bit of revolution every now and again you know let the people riot okay um but then there is the sensible side of me that kind of says, well, you know, you've all been screaming and shouting and now we've all got to calm down and just be sensible and kind of talk about maybe taking those statues down. Um, 
but you know there, there's nothing like a bit of change by just getting on and doing it there and then um it's uh i think it also kind of demonstrates how kind of like uh how on, a, on, on almost like a thread society hangs you know if the people really get up in arms i mean what's what can you do to stop them it's, uh, it's kind of like a little bit of a kind of a you know scary thought and i think you know and also coming back to the tottenham riots as well uh you talked about it in 2011 and i think that was the year of the uh, was it a year of the uh, the olympics as well was it the same year you know? the following year I think it was. Yeah, yeah. 2012. 2012. Okay. But, yeah, but, you know, they, they, you know, <clears throat> a lot of the writing, writing happened. They were so successful with it was because they used social media to move about and they kind of outmaneuvered the police. So they were able to be in one place, smash the place up, and then on to another place. And um, and again, I, I, you know, I don't think it's as simple as saying you've got a bunch of sort of like. Um, Rioters. No, on the one hand, you have you've got a bunch of kids who are bashing in stores and nicking trainers and and, and 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 jumpers and all that kind of stuff. But you've you've also got the, the the kind of like the causes and the circumstances that that you know that that happen so that actually it ends up in kids rioting and smashing in stores and 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 you've got to look at kind of what leads to that as much as anything else. Um, you know, and, uh, and again, I think that with the uh, the 2011 riots, the um, you know the police were 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 outfoxed left, right, and centre, and that was the kind of like frightening thing because there's not a lot of cops on the street. You know, again, it's like down to sort of like you know where resources have been kind of allocated by government, and you know there has been a, a decline in, in kind of policing and, and resourcing of that. And, and, and resourcing of, you know, <clears throat> every sector, and it's a complicated kind of problem, isn't it? And, and how do you, you know, and, and my only solution at the moment, you know, in, in the year of, of, of pandemics and lockdowns, you know, uh, I, I, was, I was talking to Dan Strauss about this the other day, it was quite funny because he was saying, you know, at the start of the year, he was in Australia and there was like forest fires going on in Australia was on fire and he was saying it was like you know crazy it was like end of the world stuff and then suddenly you've got like this massive wave of pandemic where we've all been shut down and locked into our houses and i'm sure we all know kind of stories of people who have literally not left their houses in six or seven weeks which is crazy um, um and and then we had the 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 uh, the death of um floyd george floyd george in america which is kind of sparked all sorts of civil unrest and uh, you know I think my only solution to all of that is like a meteor strike massive one bang hit the side of the planet just really just cataclysm. reset the switch just reset the switch and you know what I think that's just like the fairest way of doing it and, and if I go in that time so be it you know, we've all got to go sometime. <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely strange times, isn't it? It's I, I find there's a lot of there's a lot of activities that are going on at the moment that are behaviours that are disturbing and interesting at the same time. Uh, I think uh, what has interested me the most is the moral police. I think 
there's, there's been an uprising of the of the moral police. I've stayed in my house for seven weeks. I've not been anywhere near anyone. You know, the Karen with the purple hair I'm talking about. Everybody knows that Karen. Why is everybody doing this? Why are you doing that? How can people be so silly? How can you go to the beach? How can you go out in the streets? Look at you <laughs> causing a second, second wave. You know, the, the armchair experts that have almost uh, overtaken the, uh, you, you know, the moral compass. You've killed me. Yeah, yeah, that is that is it. And it's, and it's created a really strange environment. And I think... I mean, social media has almost become poisonous at the moment. It's oh, it's yeah, gone from a place of fun and voyeurism to a place of poison and opinion and no fear of offending. I think that that's what I see from the outside. But the bubble people are are far more keen to share their view, no matter how it may be perceived. Um, more then offending some of their own friends, which it it it, it, it 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 strikes me as a a wild time at the moment. But has anybody else? I mean, I've probably got a bit of an unconventional opinion on writing and the defamation of statues and stuff like that. Um, I'm going to just lead with some some interesting fact about the statue of Edward Causton that was removed in Bristol. That although some removals of these artefacts and on the front of it, when you look on, it can look very barbaric and uh, it's, you know, ropes tied around statues and removed. And what I didn't realise is that that statue itself was removed and it was taken down, rolled down towards Perrault's bridge. Now, Perrault was a uh, a slave uh, that was immortalised by being, you know, he, he was, uh, this bridge was named after this slave. And he and a lot of other slaves were thrown into the water there and they threw the statue of Edward Colston into that that uh, water under the bridge of Perro. Now, to me, some may say that is, you know, rioting, looting, vandalism. To me, that is a historic statement. That is a that is a movement of people who know what they're doing. They are making a, an absolute point. They're not writing, you know, Churchill was a fascist on on a thing in a bit of graffiti. They are removing a known slave trader who actually was responsible for the death of 19,000 slaves during traffic and the hundreds of thousands of sale of hundreds of thousands of other slaves. Now, for me, that is that is fairly poignant. And actually, I looked back, uh, just as a point of fact, looked back through some other uh, protests uh, made by the suffragettes, made in the uh, civil rights um, protests, uh, the Rodney King protests. They were violent. Aggr- I mean, even the suffragettes, they were women were fighting the police. There's pictures of, you know, lighting fires and 
and and and all sorts of things that in the time would have been deemed horrendously aggressive and violent but change positive change and no more positive than the votes given to women has come from some of these protests that have been inherently aggressive and violent violent towards the state and the and the and the police does anyone see what's happening now as any different or do people still hold the thought process that the facing an object is more um uh, should be more punishable than that of um almost holding back a whole yes holding back a a a, a racial movement yeah, what do you think depends on the i've got, I've got some it? some i yeah I've, I've got some views so um history is history how do you know about history how do you know about history now dave how if you want to know about something historic how do you how do you find out i've got the internet yeah exactly so who controls the internet well <laughs> essentially we all do because anyone so, can put something on the internet so a monument be it a good monument or a bad monument, slavery is bad. That that's it's always been bad, but it is a part of history. And no, 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 it, I don't agree. I, 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 it, it is something that someone has fashioned to put up to represent their idea of history. It's not a part of history. It is a part of history, but we don't look at monuments and learn our history from the monuments. What you look is you look you learn a view of someone's history from a monument. In Germany, they have in Germany they have statues and monuments all over the country that were put up during the during the 30s and 40s when the Nazis were in power, and they left apart from the ones that we tore down, they left all of them up, and they just put various text on it to say we've left this up to remind us to never make this mistake again, like. So they That's see quite that different day. from our statues, though, aren't it? Because we we were uh, these statues, like the Edward Coulston statue, was lauded. He was he was a, a, a rob from the poor and give to the Bristol Olians. So person. put another sign on it explaining what he's done. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think I, I change think the sign. There's, there's a like there's protests every day about a bunch of shit that no one gives a fuck about and no one ever hears about because. They don't do it. They don't smash anything up. Right. It's the easiest way to get a light shined on what you're trying to do. Obviously, what they've done has been well thought out. And I, I didn't know any of that stuff until you just told me, Dave. I just thought it was a bunch of students that pulled a statue down because they looked on Wikipedia and found that he was a racist or a slaver. However, there's two spins to it. Right. There's that spin to it, which you won't hear on the news. And what they will spin is. There's loads of people going after Churchill's statue this weekend because that's the one that the most people are going to defend because Winston Churchill is a national hero, regardless of what his politics were at different stages in in his life. At the time that the country needed a leader to run a coalition government into war, Winston Churchill was the fucking man. And I don't know. If it's yeah, maybe you know, it's, it's conversation, but well, that's right, and, and and you know, 
which, which could bring us on to Greek mythology because the characters of, of Agamemnon, who leads the Greek armies, um, you know, has to, has to do, well, he doesn't have to, but he does the most brutal things to, to be the sort of like the leader of the country, to be the leader of the army. And, and in the same way, you know, Churchill had to do the same thing and he's done despicable things and he was a racist. You know, and he did set up concentration camps in, in, mm. in Kenya and places like that, and they were, you know, in, in war. And, um, and, it's a, and, 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 and it's a really complicated conversation, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting, Dave, listening to you about the, the tearing down. Yeah, it's a very symbolic moment, um, which will get written, uh, you know, about, but, you know, he's not necessarily the, going to be like the... the, the, the biggest representative of this symbolic act no. of tearing down. But, you know, if, if they got fucking Churchill, oops, sorry, excuse my French, <laughs> if, if they get Churchill this weekend, you know, whoa, that's going to be, you know, the, the papers, you know, I think it would be worth just then switching everything off. Don't listen to the news, get off Facebook. Yeah. Mate. But that's why they've brought him up straight away, yeah. isn't it? Because it's, yeah. it's yeah. that's that's the big yeah. one. Big impact. That's uh, and it's gonna and it's gonna it bring out opinion. everybody. Yeah, yeah. it's gonna Pro- bring out everybody. At the problem weekend. with Bristol, big problem with Bristol. So I used to go to school in Bristol and sixth form and lived nearby. So I know a lot about Bristol. Bristol was built on trade, and a lot of trade was slaves, slaves and tobacco. So yeah. all of the shops, all of the old structures there, all the old docks. It's all from, there's all evidence of the slave trade. And pe- people, people who live there know about it. They don't, they don't support it. They don't, they don't sort of um, uh, celebrate it or anything like that as a good thing. Um, that, that guy, Colson, he's, he's done stuff in the city because he had money. There's a legacy behind him. Bad legacy and a good legacy. Can't excuse slave trading. Can't excuse it. It's not. It's not an excusable thing. But he is a a person. I think Same that's the problem, isn't it? When a white person says you can't excuse it, but the but is because it hasn't affected us, and the history of it doesn't affect us as deeply as someone who feels that it's still part of their life now. There's the reminiscent or the or the the um, the the ripple effect of it still has an effect on them in this present day. And I think that is the difficulty for people who aren't black. That is what we have to almost empathize with or understand. And I'm not saying every built of every structure needs to be torn down. Of course, I don't think actually statues should be taken down, if I'm going to be honest. Um, but if we're talking about symbolism and a voice and hearing, there is no but to that, or there can't be a but to that, because that's not us listening. Does that make sense to anyone, or am I just talking Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 it's, uh, it's the thing, isn't it? It's the, um, what I've learned personally over this, this time is I can't ever understand, because... I haven't gone through it. And I think I that's really understand. important, Ad. That's really yeah. important because yeah. I think without whatever you say, whatever position you've had, every one of us, and I would say I, I'm 
relatively liberal, or quite liberal. I've learned a lot, actually, just from hearing conversation, talking mm. to my friends. As an education, it's been huge, both mm. positive and negative, because also I've, I've understood that people aren't going to be as open to learning or educating themselves as some others. So, you know, and I think social media has definitely helped, helped open up the, um, the conversation. Um, you know, and, it, and I think, you know, I think we will look back and it, and it is a bit of a movement. I do think it is a movement now. I don't think it's just going to go away. Um, it's certainly but it, worth having conversations about. Though. Like, yeah. I, I didn't know that Churchill, until about a week ago, I didn't know that he was involved in the concentration camps in Kenya. Me and I didn't know that I didn't know that that was why Barack Obama sent back the statue that George Bush had in the Oval Office of Churchill. Because his granddad was in was in one of the concentration camps, but he is still an extremely important figure in English and Europe, British and European history, and it's still within living memory. And I, and I, think, I think it's not the what, is it? It's the why. I think that's the key. It's not what they're doing or what people are doing. It's why they are doing it. I don't think any would anybody would be wanting to tear down any statue or object if people felt they were being understood. And because this history, our history that we learned, going back to what you say, Ad, the history that I was taught about Churchill was definitely not this history. <laughs> this was not the history yeah. that I was taught. Yeah, I think it's, it's that is wrong. There should be a balance to history. And actually, mm. now I know. Actually, I do think, although he was, you know, this great war prime minister, outside of that, he was a piece of poo, you know. But I think that ties in quite nicely with classics. I mean, like, you know, you say it's all in relative history, but, you know, you go back to some of the more historical statues and monuments, etc. You know that people were complex. They were multifaceted. They were good and evil, much like a lot of the Greek classics, how people aren't. Uh, just like one good guy or one great guy like you know you look at some of the stuff Zeus did very questionable um, and I think yeah. that is I mean there's a story about um, Apollo and Daphne uh, so this is a, another example of people being multifaceted in classics so Daphne was a very beautiful lady um, and I believe she was a priestess at Athena's temple now, Apollo became infatuated with her and started trying to pursue her. Uh, and Daphne, I mean, there's multiple ways of telling this story, but Daphne didn't want anything to do with him. Uh, so Apollo tried to rape her. So she ran, started banging on the temple of Athena, begging for her to be rescued by Athena. And Athena looked at her in disgust and turned her into a tree. So again, like you look at Athena, the goddess of wisdom, the goddess of truth, she is multifaceted in that she's very human. She's disgusted by somebody who is begging. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about, these statues here. Like, you know, because it's in recent history, you only look at the good side of people. Mm. You only look at the good side of Churchill. You don't know he is multifaceted. Like, for example, Tiberius in Rome. Like, you know, he was a multifaceted general, did some great stuff, did some horrible stuff. It's all relative to the time. So I think it's just the more time passes, the more you get to see the multifaceted side of people. And I think in that, George, that's really that's really interesting, because actually to be a good war prime minister, you have to 
you're sending people to their death. There is a cold element to that, isn't there? You, you I mean, it, it, in order to engage in battle and in war, even though not yourself, you are condemning young men and women and and those people that they are killing. That is that is not and that is not something you would do easily. I'm sure he didn't do it easily, but there's a dark side to that decision, isn't there? And and I think that's the interesting part now. I think history has to be people have to be educated in a more balanced fashion. Yusuf, you are a man of education. Do you think that's a fair do you think that's a fair comment? Do you think we well, need to have yeah. a bit more of a balanced view of history? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, this whole kind of uh, conversation about the um, the, the statues. Um, you know, there is a conversation that needs to be had. There needs to be a conversation about now the the fact that you know there are. I would say there are parts of this country that have become very diverse and and have. Um, and have become part of the fabric of modern Britain. And it's uh, an interesting thing because, you know, I, I'm sort of like a mixed parentage. My father's from Mauritius and my mother is Irish. And, um, you know, I grew up in a village in Abbots Langley. It's leafy and gorgeous and, um, you know, run around the streets and there were the local skinheads and uh, they were a bit scary and, you know, do all their, all that and uh, you know calling us names and stuff like that and we were like the, the, the only Muslims in the village as well so uh, you know I weren't the only gays in the village well we were, we were like the, essentially the only gays in the village um, and, and that that came with all sorts of problems um, and um, you know as you kind of grow up I've had conversations about it and and, and um, you know it does impact uh, you know who you are as you grow up, you know, you, you, you know how I see this country, what, what my relationship is to it, what is my place in it, you know, um, as a kind of a mixed race man who's kind of like, you know, who works, works and pays his taxes and, and um, you know, um, well that's it isn't it, I work and pay my taxes, so, so I suppose I'm a citizen of this nation, you know, and I've got a British passport. So, um, but it's a conversation that has to evolve, I think. But then I think we, in London especially, we live in such a bubble. Um, and, you know, when you look at, you know, when you leave London, you look at the rest of the country, you know, um, uh, you know, it just it isn't as diverse. And so you're up against, I wouldn't say, you know, up you know, up against is maybe the wrong word, but you know, you're you're kind of talking, you're discussing things that actually haven't affected people in their lives. Um, you know, in a real way. You know, there's places that you can go where, you know, you still walk around places. Like, you know, I've done a lot of you know up and down the country and walking around the Lake District and stuff like that. And um, you know, you go up there and you see another person of colour and you kind of go, oh, you you notice each other. Um, so, and, 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 and the people who live there, that's not their problem, you know, they just get on their business and then suddenly we're presented with all these issues of, you know, what's going on and the racial prejudice. I, I, I uh, listened to, uh, who is it, James Baldwin the other day, uh, he's like a, you know, 60 civil rights uh, 
fellow uh, and uh, academic and um, writer and intellectual and he's fascinating to listen to and he's uh, he did um, uh, they, they were asking a question about um, what was it whether the American dream uh, was still attainable or something like that or whether it was dead and this was like in 1965 and it was like the debate that they had at, uh, in Oxford so you know like all, all the kind of like the Oxford or Cambridge students come in they sit down and they listen to a debate and they vote on which side of the argument um, and James Baldwin gave this speech um, you know talking about it just you know uh, um, black history and you know the civil rights movement and um, you know it, it could have been you know that speech could have been given last week in, in the wake of the you know what happened in America um, so you know uh, controversially you know a nation that's built on genocide and uh, and then you know built on the back of slavery you know, if that is in, if that is your starting point for building a nation, you know, that's what you've kind of that's what you've committed to as the people who are going to build a nation there. You're going to wipe out an indigenous population of people, and then you're going to you know commodify human labour. Um, and um, you know, if that's your starting point, it's going to be ingrained in your every generation. Um, and and your you know what you pass down through your DNA it was you know there's uh, you know the invention of the needle you know which happened like 150,000 years ago they kind of like you know all these anthropologists and and and, and, and archaeologists have talked about it as something that wasn't just invented in a day and that it was almost like a collective kind of passing on of knowledge that you fashion something over time. Um, uh, until you kind of almost, you know, then you perfect it and you, you've got this kind of perfect shape with a, a hole in the, the end of it that you can sew your kind of, you know, your, your, your reindeers together so you can march up north. But in the same way that maybe if you, if you kind of build a nation on that kind of, that process of, you know, um, what I've described, you know, it, it's, it's 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 ingrained in the very nature of all the people there and 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 you know i mean like just literally how, how on earth do you undo that I, I it's like evolution of education though isn't it yusuf that's the thing it's what you're saying yeah. is the knowledge of you know making the needle passed over generations and obviously improved and got better and was used in different ways and i think this is just a time where you know this generation will just be far more knowledgeable one way or the other than the next and our children will be uh even taught of our experiences in a different fashion from whatever we've learned this way it will get passed on because at one point you'll have a conversation with your children or someone's children or your nieces mm. or your nephews and and you will give them maybe a more balanced view than your parents may have given you and their parents yeah. before them and their parents before them do you know what i mean yeah. so it's almost like a it, it, it's interesting as well i think um, you know um when um what was it uh well, nwa brought out their album um you know uh what was it 
fuck the police. You know, it was like it, it was used as sort of like a response to police violence and you know the Rodney King film. And it was, uh, you know, it actually was social commentary, and um, you know, it's happened again. You know, and, yeah. and actually, the black community in America have been speaking about it. And, you know, while everyone's been enjoying kind of gangster hip hop, and um, but you know, and I, I and I do talk about that kind of NWA as as kind of like a piece of social commentary, like almost like you know social history. You know, as the stories and their response to the sort of like the the experiences that they they were having there, and it was cool music. I remember listening to it at secondary school, thinking, oh my. God, this is amazing. Um, um, but actually, it, it, it's if you look at it now, the spoken word, the, the, the you know, the, the, the lyrics and the rap music they produced was actually kind of like telling a history that you know, if you look at the evidence, man, they ain't so wrong. Um, and so, in that way, the sort of like you know, that's how you know. Um, uh, you, wow! I tell you what, I was listening to. Uh, there's a really interesting, uh, you know, another academic. He's called uh, Dr. Cornell West, and there's a there's a brilliant like interview that he does with Joe Rogan. He's kind of like, you know, uh, I, he, he's a Harvard uh, professor and and uh, you know, kind of like black intelligentsia, and um, you know, he used to roll with Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X. You know, those were his boys, and 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 he does this brilliant interview on on Joe Rogan. He talks about like Muhammad Ali, and he talks about uh, Richard Pryor's as well. And um, he he uh, he talks about um, that you know that the the response of uh, you know black people in America, you know, the response to the violence, the oppression, racism. Uh, slavery. What they, their response has been is through the sort of like their, you know, the music, the the art, the culture that they bring in. Um, and and he he kind of talks about uh, what is it? Is it is it? I think it's an amazing point. Um, he talks about is it John Cole, John Coltrane, uh, the jazz uh, artist. Is that correct? Is he is it John Coltrane? Um, and the uh, album called Love Supreme, and he says it's like almost like a, you know, when that album came out, it was at the height of the civil rights movement. You know, everything was kicking off. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X was going on, and he and he talks about Love Supreme coming out, and he said that the black community's response to all this oppression and um, racism, and, and, and you know, and, and all of this has been a message of love. And that the album Love Supreme is, it, you know, it, it is literally it's a message of that, and it's kind of like a really good example is, um, you know, Nina Simone wrote a song called uh, Strange Fruits, and and it's a it's a, it's a beautiful, exquisite song. Her voice is, you know, amazing, but the song is uh, the strange fruits hanging from the trees. As you can imagine, in, in the 1960s, the sight of sort of like, you know, black men being lynched and those are the strange shoes. And, and, but she sings about it in, in, you know, as a, you know, as the response to that. 
you know, it's like the only response you've got. And like, you know, every time this happens, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing a president saying, you know, these protesters are terrorists, um, you know, and whipping things up. And actually, you know, there are, there's a lot of protesters, there's a lot of rioters, there's a lot of people smashing stuff up. But there's also kind of, there's, there's always been a sort of like a message that is also a peaceful message, but it gets lost in the craziness of everything that's going on. I'll shut up now. No, I think did, you're right, mate. That, that, they did the same. What they're doing now is, is because it's an election year and in, in, in the way yeah. that Trump is, is saying they're all terrorists and they're smashing up everything. The, the reality is it's a very small minority of people that are doing the rioting and the smashing up. And they will all be on CCTV and they will all get prosecuted six months down the line like they did in the London riots. But it's yeah. an election year and it's news and it's he's got to appeal to his base in yeah. a time where he's been shit through the coronavirus pandemic and he's he's got a he's got a you know, keep up appearances. On on what you said about um the NWA, I totally agree that album is amazing. But how quickly did they go from hating that album because it glorified violence to totally commodifying it and and it, it was the new hip thing. It went from being a, a big social commentary to just rap. That was rap yeah. from then on. Yeah, and yeah. It didn't absolutely. matter what they said anymore. It was just, this is black people music. This is rap. And it, it totally wasn't. It was, that was what they had every single day growing up in Compton, that that they lived it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, uh, and I think that, you know, the, the, the history of sort of like uh, music in America, um, you know, speaks of that, you know, the blues and, and, and jazz music speaks of sort of like kind of like pain and, uh, 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 and poverty and things like that. So, you know, rap music is also kind of a, you know, it's a, it, it's a, it's a youth that is angry and wants to respond in the way that they, you know, that the past generations of, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King of turning the other cheek in peaceful protest, you know, you, you know, your children are always supposed to rebel, and that's kind of almost what happens with a generation until they all grow up and get old and say, man, it's peace. peace is the only way. You know, in youth, we kind of fight and we're fiery and people go out and smash up statues because, because they do. Well, know, as an example moment... of that and, and a twist of media, I, I've been on a lot of marches over the years none of which any of you will have seen or known with 20 30,000 people in whereas in france firefighters engaged in fisticuffs with the police and yeah. literally were fighting in the streets with police hand fights fist fights and the media knew everything about it now that only did the french firefighters some service because they actually brought their story to the forefront. People empathise with them and feel that they were that uh, passionate about it. Whereas here, uh, any violence has been labelled uh, thug behaviour. And I mean, I, I want to lighten the load really because I think I think we've, yeah. we've, we've talked a lot. So I want to lighten the load. What I want to lighten the load with is uh, Yusuf is um, to go back to the one thing we all love and miss god bless her <laughs> jiu-jitsu the lord of jiu-jitsu the lord jiu -jitsu. what what, what i want to say to you yusuf is yeah. 
what does jiu-jitsu mean to you? And, well, let's just start with that. What does it mean to you? What does it mean? You're, 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 you're a bright guy. You, you could do any other sport you wanted to do, really, if you wanted to. You, I know you've done a bit of skateboarding and stuff like that, a lot of skateboarding, bits and yeah. pieces. But what does jiu-jitsu mean to you? Um, uh, or is it too big a question? No, 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 no. I tell you what, like the first time that I kind of did it, I was almost sick um, at the end of the session. Um, and I was kind of bent over and mouth watering and uh, I want to puke up. And I just think to myself, I'm coming back next week. Um, because something, you know, that kind of primordial, you know, caveman erupted and said, you know, ah. Oh. Um, and it was, I, I loved it. It, 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 it was the physicality, uh, my, my uselessness at it, my cardio. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and it did, it just instantly appealed. It's like Marmite, isn't it? And, um, um, and I started doing it like that and I just almost instantly fell in love with it. And I think that because I wasn't doing anything else at the time, I think I was doing a little bit of running and going to the gym and going on the treadmill and yada, yada, yada. But then, you know, discovered jiu-jitsu, which I'd literally never even heard about. You know, um, I'd never even heard of MMA or anything like that. Didn't know about grappling before I came across jiu-jitsu in, uh, I think it was about 2008. And, you know, when you kind of suddenly get into it and then you've got, like, people who go, oh, yeah, I've been in it for years. And you're thinking, oh, man, I wish I'd found out about this years ago. Um, and so, yeah, from there, I kind of like, and that was with, um, who was it? Enrique Santana. Enrique La Laga Santana. Um, we, uh, I trained with him um, in a little gym in, in Wood Green uh, for a few weeks. And then that kind of just closed. And I was like, <gasps> you know, how am I ever going to do this again? And it was like my heart had been broken. You know, a love affair had been, you know, over. Um, you know, it's like, it's, jiu-jitsu is like a woman in your life, man. She never lets you down. She's hard on you. But, um, you but that's the thing. That's the thing. That's my point, really, Yusuf. Because, you know, it's funny how everyone starts off with the physical, uh, what they notice about the physical of it. But actually, realistically when you've been in it for a couple of years or not even that long, really it's for, for a fair few of us, it becomes like an emotional roller coaster of, uh, trials and tribulations. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that that, but it, but it is, you know, if you stick with it, it is character building stuff. I think that when, um, you know, uh, I started it and I, I couldn't sort of like quite believe what I was doing for a few months and uh, I was probably kind of like feeling sick for a long time. I went along to my first competition and got thoroughly kind of like roasted and beaten up and thrown around and um, uh, and it was, it was Simon Hayes in fact was the, uh, the referee and I think he felt a bit sorry for me and he let me kind of like stop and have a breather and get my t-shirt off and you know, do up my judo suit again because I didn't have a gi. I didn't have a, like, a BJJ gi. I had a, like an oversized judo suit, but, you know, with big flappy arms on them. Um, and um, yeah, 
don't know. What was the point of that? And, 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 and well, I was going to just say about that, really, because I mean, I guess the unusual thing about yourself is um, some people may not know, but you're not a youngster. I know you sound like a young man, but you still compete. You enjoy competition. Mm. What is it about competition that? Because you could quite easily, a lot of jiu-jitsu guys don't compete. Um, and they're quite happy with that. What is it about competition that appeals to you? And is it the process you enjoy or is it the spoils of victory that you like? Well, I think it's the thrill of competition because I don't particularly win. So I don't like to big myself up about that I'm going to win. So I need to approach it in a different manner. I think, you know, when I first ever did uh, a competition, um, you know, I, I, I have these like epiphany moments where I kind of go, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. You know, from this sort of like, I've, you know, there's a picture of me. I feel like a fat kid um, at the, the, the gym in my uh, judo gi. And, and, you know, a year or a year and a half later, I've kind of taken part in the English Open as my first competition. And, you know, I've never been in an environment like that. And you've got all these sweating dudes who are all looking ripped. And you're thinking, oh, my God. And I think I was still, I was Masters 3 or Masters 2 or something like that. I can't remember now. Um, and it was, it was thrilling. I did it once and uh, I got beaten thoroughly by two Carlson Gracie guys um, in front of Simon Hayes. And, um, uh, and, and then I thought, you know what, I'm going to do another one in December. And there was another one in December, it was a grapple and pull one. Um, uh, uh, that shut because I think it snowed that weekend. And... Um, you know, I was suddenly itching to kind of have another crack at it. And um, and I thought, you know what, it was always kind of like a goal. It was always a sort of like an incentive to improve one's jiu-jitsu. And um, so I trained with uh, Enrique for a bit. And then uh, I went to t- a place called Titan Fighter because that closed down. And Titan Fighter is an MMA club. And uh, again, at the time, you like walk in there and there's like guys who are just enormous and ripped and like that and um you know when when you were even just doing techniques they were kind of like mm, you know like rear naked choking you kind of like that across your track you, you, uh, um and yeah i i you know i Fuckers. loved it and yeah yeah <laughs> um but, you know, we fought in the cages there as well. And I did some of the sort of like the striking classes. But I think, is it Brad Pickett? I think one punch, Brad Pickett took some of the lessons. And, you know, I did some of it down there. And, uh, and it was great, you know. And, and again, it was just like the thrill of competition. The thrill of competition, actually, no. So I did all of that. And then went to a little place called N10 BJJ, which is up in Muswell Hill, like round the back of somewhere and there was uh, there's a blue belt called uh, gavin lewis um who is now a black belt and uh, and and runs uh, ali pali bjj and the guys that i trained with there farhead and jeff and uh, um joel rabin um met him there um a few other guys as well we all kind of got, got to know each other um who is it um gavin was a blue belt but he was so technical um, and, um, you know, he was just sort of like learning himself and it was great, you know, and um, I trained with him and there was another guy there called Jawad Khan, uh, who was like the, he was like a, a rolling brown belt 
Um, I've got a funny um, story about Joad Khan. Oh, really? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, he, so so when I met him, he was kind of like just training with us, like he'd come to hang out. He was like the eternal brown belt. And, um, you know, I think he'd fought in a load of cage warriors or something and it had really kind of broke his knee or something like that. And, um, you know, I trained with him and, and, and that lot there. It was great. Um, you know, I'm still, I still sort of like see him and chat with him every now and again. He's just um, got his black belt, hasn't he? Or not long ago, last year, I think. I think he did, yeah. There was sort of like some kind of, uh, is it Ricks and Gracie uh, uh, promotion or, or, or affiliation that he's kind of made uh, that I saw on Facebook sort of like recently. So. Oh, was it? Oh, right. Yeah, he was yeah. my first opponent, MMA opponent. Oh, I really? Fought. Yeah, at ground and pound two. And, really? And uh, we were in the same, bizarrely enough, we're in the same locker room together. And he said, oh, mate, I've got a really bad stomachache. I've got the shits. I can't fight. <laughs> and I was like, you're joking, mate. I've come here. I'm going to get paid £30 to fight. I can't believe <laughs> gonna, you're not going to fight me. This is unbelievable. And another bloke said, so when I'll ever fought with you, and I was like, brilliant, I get to get my 30 pound, and oh, this is amazing. And that was, but but the longer the story of it was, Gerard Khan was a lovely, really, really lovely bloke, a really nice bloke. And well, we had a good, he, a good, he couldn't fight that night, he had the two bob bits, but to be fair, he was a, he was a nice fella. Uh, and that was my first MMA fight, and... And Joad was a really nice guy, and the guy I fought was a really nice guy. Um, and it was a really good start to what was a violent, short, short, well, not short, it was quite a long-lived MMA career, but but uh, sp- sporadic. But yeah, Joad Khan was, you know, a jiu-jitsu, known as a jiu-jitsu pra- practitioner back then, and that was 2002. So, oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, Nick sort of like knows him, and uh, I think Simon Hayes had kind of known him because I think he'd kind of trained with, you know, those that kind of first generation of, um, you know, people who were doing jujitsu here. Um, but he, as I say, he kind of didn't get his black belt because he, you know, I don't know, went rolling or something like that. Yeah, I just think um, it was the, it was the it was the it was the mood of the day. You moved around. You didn't get you didn't train in one spot. You just went from one place to another because that was just. The, the gyms were all over the place and you know it was just that was just you traded different places to get different things people didn't yeah. really care about belts because belts weren't getting dished out either yeah you know, yeah people were being yeah. white belt four stripes for three or four years so it wasn't like people were chasing belts you know but um mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's interesting so what about what what i ask a lot of people only because i've been i found it a it is a absolute unique experience. I can't really quite put into words. Um, and I've done a lot of competitions over the years, a, a lot of fights, a lot of. But I find the Euros is 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 nothing like I've ever experienced any other competitive environment. What? How do you feel with the Euros? What do you do? You have a relationship with the Euros yourself? Uh, absolutely. Um, I think uh, the first year that I did it, uh, did all the training beforehand as or as much as I could. Like Nick runs a, a hellish like 12 week or like training program before it to kind of get you in the mindset. And actually it was, 
you know, you kind of get a taste of what these champions do, you know, even if you're doing it at your, you know, the level that you're doing it at. And um, so getting there that first year, I, I, I was, um, you know, just like as a life experience. I mean, it blew my mind. Um, you know, I, I could not imagine that the, you know, the guy that kind of turned up at jiu-jitsu all those years ago um, in the outside judo suit was now kind of uh, walking into the, the, the bullpen at the, the Euros. You know, your heart is going and walking out. I mean, you kind of think about that like scene in Gladiator where he walks out in the Colosseum and he looks around him. I mean, you know, that's sort of like what... That's about as close to, to it as modern man can get. You know, you walk into there, everyone's like the smell of, you know, war is in the, is in the air. And um, and I was just completely kind of... And actually, I was kind of like in a really good place. Uh, I was in a really good place, man. Um, in terms of uh, sort of like, you know, I felt like I knew what I was doing. I was there to fight. I kind of focused a lot about it. And I fought and I won my first fight. And that was in the first year that I was there. Um, and of course, doing that, you know, first of all, turning up at the Euros, you know, it's like I, I'm at the I'm at the European Championships, you know, which is amazing. You know, so, because, you know, it's like we're, 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 you know, we all work five days of the week. We're, we're not athletes, but we get an opportunity to kind of like be middle age kind of sporting legends, you know. It's like an away there. day. Oh, it's, yeah. a, it's an athlete away day. Yeah. You're a nine to five worker, but that 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 period of days, yeah. you, you, you're in the premiership. Yeah. Literally. Oh, you're in the premiership. Yeah, I mean, it, it's and, there, and you and you smell it, and you know it, and you see the people around you. I mean, I would I would advise everybody to to at least do it once. And I think if you did it once, you can't stop yourself. I mean, I'm like, I mean, I know Adam's been doing it for years and years, um, and it's become a staple of his yearly jiu-jitsu um, competition program. And I know why it is a very addictive search for a bit of glory. Yeah, and yeah, every yeah. year you feel like it could be your year. There's always that chance. It could it something. And I'm not saying about winning it. I'm saying about winning a fight. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm not well, even you, saying about winning a medal. I'm I just saying. You won two of them, though, didn't you? Again? You won two of them, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah, there you and, go. Uh, actually, that was my my goal. Actually, was just to win one, mm. which is weird because that's re- almost uh, some sports psychologist out there would tell me what a ridiculous goal set that was because you're you're setting your bar too low. But there, that is actually setting your bar very high. These people uh. are killers at all yeah. ages, at all belts, yeah. and in order to win one fight is literally the fight of your life. I mean, Nick told me, you know, you know, the first time I went, I didn't give it all in my in that first round and I lost. And he's mm. like, if you're not going to go for the kill, balls to the wall, kill yourself in the first and every fight, there's no point in going. Yeah. That's so true. It, every fight is the final. Every fight is the final. And I, and I think 
that's well, yeah, that's how I looked at it in 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 this time round. It, it was every fight I had, I saw it as a final, and I think maybe a lack of self belief held me from the silver and gold spot. But um, but yeah, definitely a bit of a proving ground, I think. Um, yeah, and a great podium shot with you with your eyes open like that, going. That shot. That's that shot. That's, that's yeah, the shock. The shock factor. Yeah. Shock factor. Um, yeah, I mean, actually, you know, so so there was that. I mean, I've done it three times now, and and all, you know, just I don't get anywhere with it. But it, you know, in terms of being that kind of guy who just turns up at jujitsu every day or, or as much as he can, you know, the as you say, the sporting glory of, of going off and being kind of like feeling like you've worked and you've trained and you're physically fit, you know, and that challenge, um, you know, and it is something kind of. I, I suppose quite unique to jiu-jitsu as well because you know it's not a closed European competition it's like everyone can go to it you know so everyone's got a kind of an opportunity to win and put it and and you know we all kind of talk about this we put it on the line it's it's putting yourself into that uncomfortable position struggling through the sort of like the weeks uh, of training and cutting weight you know the anxiety to, to perform for five minutes or maybe even less or maybe even more and and, and you know talking about the, the the other side of it i remember coming back actually after that first year and, and and having a massive kind of like crash because um you know we, we'd been working so hard you know prior to christmas and everything was about the build-up but you know it's like you do that and and then you finish it and then you go zhong because yeah. you are literally going back to your normal life and you yeah. put in that. Um, and actually, oh, it hit quite hard. This year. <laughs> you hit coronavirus this year. Well, there yeah. you go. But, you know, for me, actually, it hit me quite hard, um, you know, because I had to pick myself up a bit. And, you know, you just kind of think, oh, you know, what's the point? Because you're on such a high mm. getting there. And then, you know, the next day you're flying back to England, you, you, you're flying to Luton and it's grey. You know, you've just been in, in, in uh, Portugal and it's sunny and you're walking around in your T-shirt and, you know, damn. You Everything know, about it is like that, isn't it? It is it is such a high yeah. thing there. That it, it's all, it's all, uh, it's the it's the drama and the romance and the possibly the winning and then you, your body is aching because of the stress and everything like that. And like you say, you get on the plane, you come back to grey England, back to your all your yeah. issues and your because really it is a vacation from life you know that that euro that period yeah. i mean i know adam and i definitely that when we yeah, go well, you bloody nutcases well i mean tell us how has it been we get, the euros we get experience love since you've been involved with adam and the euros well you know i i i, I was thinking that first year that um we went i think um uh you know, the first person that I clocked was Ian Tui, and he was sitting there, you know, as he is, and he, like, had the look of dread on his face because both you and Adam were sitting next to him, and I think he was just trying to communicate to me, Yusuf, just walk away. Just walk away now. Um, but actually, you know what? I mean, going with you guys has been utterly brilliant. I mean, it's... it's um, you know, it is. It's like fellowship and a rings, man. You know, uh, you know, um, yeah, the fellowship. Bob, it? Bob, 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 Bob,
Dead. <laughs> oh, he's dead. <laughs> Mate, you're so fucked. I'm, I might get that Elite Academy thing just so I can kill you. <laughs> you know, and, and all those other levels, right? You go to the Euros as well, you kind of bump into people that you've met the year before and you're like, hey! And it's like that whole thing about jujitsu, and it is about community as well. Like everyone's got their communities, train spotters, and you know, I don't know, coffee drinkers, and uh, I can't think of any other communities. Um, and jujitsu, and so that that is us, isn't it? It's kind of what we mm. do. We turn up and we go and roll, and and, and the love of competition, I suppose, as it, it's gone on, I've been through the love and hate affair with it where you know I'm desperate to win and I've been upset when I haven't and you know I've been beaten before I've stepped onto the mat so that's generally what my competition career is like and I've had a few little wins here and there and um but you know I'm not I'm a lover not a fighter um but you know now and I suppose the um what was it the I mean the Euros this year was just like a I was just glad to have turned up this year, right? And, you know, I was like, weighed lightweight in the middleweight division, screwed that one up. But the, um, and then, you know, the grappling industries one we, we were at beforehand, and I was rolling with uh, that Simon guy who uh, we fought four times. And, um, yeah. I mean, that, that, that I really enjoyed because actually I went in there without any expectations. Um, it, it was like for like. He's the same age. He's the same way. He's been trading for about the same amount of time, and we rolled really well. And, and also, we kind of understood that we didn't want to rip each other's ACLs off, you know, and that we would, you know, Sunday afternoon, um, and we rolled and we fought, and it was it was great. And I, I you know, we had such a, a laugh and a good time, and you know, win some, you lose some, mm, and you yeah. know, and that was kind of like me, just thinking. I am doing jiu-jitsu now because I really enjoy it. I really love it. I've done it for enough years to sort of like, you know, to have been through the effort and the grind and the, mm. you know, the heartache and the, you know, you get into bed at night and you hug your pillow and you say, why don't you love me jiu-jitsu? To, to the point where I just think, you know, I really love jiu-jitsu and um, I love the movement of it and um, I like I like the kind of like, complicated positions you get into i like the the technicality of grips and you know the leverage and um you know and i and i love the art of it as well you know i like the the flowing movements between like you know transitioning from one position into another that's why i like spinning upside down because i think it's just cool you know? how do you think jiu-jitsu is going to fare with the lockdown and after effects yusuf do you think it's going to come back stronger than ever or do you think there's going to be some casualties of war uh, I think it's, i.e. I think, lost, lost blue belts lost blue belts to the uh, blue belts God bless them all yeah God bless them well oh, do you know what you probably scientists. need a bit of you probably need a bit of a culling you know um and the, 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 no, the blue, Jim, you don't. No, <laughs> we need all the already lost belts. half of ours. Well, well <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, all the blue belts are dead. We've had a cut. Blue belts We've are had dead. Oh, yeah. They get a blue belt and they go, nah, mate. Yeah, they like wrist locks. See you later. Not all of so, them. Not all of them. Not all of them. Yeah, but you know, I like, fucking love wrist locks. Oh, you see, that's just horrible thing. So you know, if you all, you know, you're all gonna carry on at some point when you can. 
Um, which is cool because, you know, you'll go off and you'll learn it and all those blue belts will disappear. And I know that won't be financially great for you or anything like that, but they'll go off and then years in years to come, right, BJJ will make them surgeons and they'll be like these old wise and masters like motherfucking Jedis who kind of like know these like ancient ways, you know, not as random, as clumsy as a blaster, but, you know, um, jiu-jitsu for a more kind of like civilized age and that's what you'll come out of like you know under under your rock nice quotation <laughs> jiu-jitsu for a civilized age yeah woven so, in know. from star wars i like it <laughs> um, but yeah I, I think um i think there's sort of going to be a lot of sort of like tentative steps i mean I, I i don't really understand what's going on about the elite stuff as i say i turn off the news i don't want to know about it just tell me when they open up and um and i think the sort of science suggest, does suggest that you know we're not really going to catch it if you're you know fit and healthy you know we're all at risk but whatever um so but i think when the gyms open the you know, I, I think when the gyms open, they will be they will have to be driven by guidelines, okay, which will restrict the kind of like the amount of jujitsu that you can do in, in in the gym. And so, the, you know, you're going to have to have like single training partners or working in pods together, you know, um, and and that's the way it's going to be. And I say that like because, you know, just looking at the um, school that I'm working in. The military precision that they have had to kind of implement uh, COVID-19 guidelines and, you know, procedures and two meter rules and big sort of like X's because you can't sit on these three chairs, but you can on those two chairs, you know, because it's two meters apart is insane. And um, yeah, so so the gyms, man. I mean, I don't even know. Is there, is there sort of like some talk that they're going to open up on the 15th of June or 15th of July? I don't know. I might have heard something like that. Is that? Well, there's a lot of talk, but nothing concrete. So we're sort still, of not speculating, yeah. but it would be nice. But obviously we understand that everybody's got to be kept safe and there's vulnerable people. And, you know, yeah. we've, got to, we've got to make make sure it's, it's done in the right way. But um, I think everybody... I think for me, I, there's just an inane frustration that you can open a McDonald's um, and people can eat just fast food, but you can't go and make yourself healthy by getting yourself fit, which yeah. is a bizarre um, twist in the story of coronavirus, because the one thing that's going to probably keep you alive more than anything else is by being a fit individual. And that's the one thing that... A lot of people gym, not just jujitsu gyms, but you know, you know, you know, cardio gyms like you know, fitness gyms are yeah, sharp. Absolutely, and, and and you know what? I think it's hard motivating people. Um, you know, and, and and I'm sure all those industries are so heavily hit, and they do need to get back. And you know, they also need to be given permission to you know get back to work and, and in a socially distant way, even if that just means like put a two meter hula hoop around the person so you just don't step inside the circle yeah you know it's just there you go problem solved but you know the government have backed themselves into a corner and it's you know they've just mucked it all up haven't they um yeah. 
I was going to say something about that, about McDonald's. Yeah, I mean, that's just crazy. I, I actually rode past the McDonald's today. I was on my bike and uh, I just kind of went in and I, I kind of went to him, can I ride in and get myself a McDonald's? He went, no, you have to have a car. He said, you can go home and get your car. And I was thinking the, the insanity of this, this poor man who has to give a message. So I can't, well, you know, you're talking about, but you, you're not allowed to be fit and healthy, but you can get McDonald's. I'm being fit and healthy and I can't get McDonald's because I'm on a goddamn bicycle and not in a goddamn it's car. Crazy. Ah! Crazy. You know, you know that whole, you know, the when, 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 you know, everything imploded in on itself when Boris said, work, don't go to work. <laughs> and it was, it was literally <laughs> the only thing that he could say and the government could say to cover their backs was just to give opposing statements because it was like, right, so if I write these things down, it's true and I'm okay and I, 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 I'm accountable, you know, or, or, you know, I've proved my accountability because I've ticked all the boxes. So the only thing you can do is, like, okay, so I've told them to, to go to work and I've told them not to go to work. Good. I've done my job, and I have. I, I am, you know. It's, it's, it's nothing different though than what's been happening for years, where essentially firms have been saying, "We'll teach you how to lift a box, but when you go and lift that box, if you don't bend your knees and keep your back straight and you hurt yourself, it's nothing to do with us." Yeah. You you've done it. It's your fault, and that that is essentially on steroids in this situation it is you know everybody must be sensible but we all know <laughs> that yeah. what is sensible for one is not sensible for another and uh h- hence you know mass gatherings have happened and uh beaches have been filled and uh you know it, it's been a bit of a, a bit of a time of uh, ambiguity but Absolutely, interestingly god yeah. sorry no, 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 sorry, I was just, you know, carrying No, so it, it is inter- interesting times. But, yeah, um, it is. I but think, I would quite uh, like to go back to jiu-jitsu. Um, I, I, um, it, it's been interesting kind of like when, you know, not doing it, you kind of do so much of it. And, you know, I, I take away from the sort of like the, the, the problems that gym owners have, which is, you know, a nightmare. But, you know, just as a practitioner of jiu-jitsu, I can't say that I've missed it that much uh, going into lockdown. Um, you know, I, I've kind of, you know, you know what I think, you know, you draw from jiu-jitsu, you do it for so many years. It, it is very much ingrained, you know, the, the body says you need to move. You know, that's all what we felt, you know, when we're doing jiu-jitsu every day, we're feeling that itch. We need to have a fight with somebody. Um, or get physical or have a cuddle um, and um, you know kind of going into the lockdown I kind of very much carried on with that mindset of uh, just moving you know uh, and, and swinging the kettlebell around and doing like body weight stuff and, and actually kind of giving myself time to slow down because as you say uh, earlier on we're not young men anymore some of us aren't anyway um, and uh, I haven't stopped doing jiu-jitsu for years. And even through the injuries, you kind of train jiu-jitsu. And, um, you know, uh, and the fact that we've been forced into stopping has been 
Yeah, I think it's a good thing in some ways because it does. Your body heals, you know, and um, you get time to reflect on it and, and actually kind of time to think about what it does mean because that that uh, thing that I was saying about like how it applies to everyday life, jujitsu is life, you know, and um, it's you know the the, the mindset of jujitsu. Like one of the first things I ever learned in jujitsu was about position before submission. And I think it's a great mantra, and you know, like in in dealing with, you know, your your life, you know, it, what was it? Position, before, you know, actually stop and think about things. And in jujitsu, you kind of stop, you take a breather, you use your weight, your leverage to kind of control your opponent before you ever go anywhere near submitting them. Um, and and that kind of applies in all of this as well, you know. In, in, in we, we've been locked into this situation of kind of COVID nineteen, and we've had to kind of respond in whichever ways. And people are doing loads of trading, and oh man, you know, Facebook's covered and everybody doing God knows how much. Um, and um, you know, and and finding other ways to kind of uh, deal with jujitsu. So I, I've um, well, I've taken up painting. Garden. So I've done, I've done the gardening and the decorating, I've done all my fitness and the exercises, and I'm now literally bored and, um, yeah, need to do some other things. Anyway, I'll stop chatting. Go on. Well, no, it's been a very interesting conversation, mate. And it's, uh, yeah, it's I think, <clears throat> I think it's that time when we'll, uh, we'll uh, wrap it up. So all I want to say is, Thank you very much for coming on, Yusuf. It's been a blast. I think we've covered quite a few topics tonight that has uh, been really interesting. But not the so most I'm... important topic. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. The Spice Girls. <laughs> oh, yeah. PG all... language, PG language. Yeah, PG yeah, language, let's, let's, though, right? Let's do it so school children can listen. Uh, and educate themselves, but also know. Okay, so fuck Mario Kill. <laughs> oh, he's not. PD, right? PD. That's a 12 at least. Spice Girls. That's <laughs> a 12 right? Which one would you. Which one would you fuck? Which one would you marry? Which one would you kill? Oh my god. Oh my God! Do you know, I, I just—I'm not going to get drawn into these conversations about, you know, playing play, play, silly buggy games. You know, I will not be getting. As I say, I thought this was going to be Radio Four until I saw your bloody faces, and so I won't well, get drawn into that. You started the swearing. You started the that swearing. That was really yeah. accidental, you know, and, and actually contextually... It might have been accidental, but you'd have been you know, thrown out of the BBC for it, but we've let you stay through with that. your potty mouth. <laughs> potty mouth. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry, kids, if anybody was listening to me. Yeah. Look, so, so I'm going to put this who, one. Check, scary no, no, forget, forget it, I ain't going to answer that question. Check this out, because <laughs> while we've been talking... I have painted this. That's that a beautiful like landscape. Scary. Very nice. There you go. And that is representative like of fuck marine kill. Yeah. And I would say Murray from the middle. Those <laughs> trees represent <laughs> sporty spice, scary spice, and Jerry Halliwell. Yeah. Exactly. Not in that order. No. Not for me anyway. But anyway, that's another that's another show. Good 
Good night, fellas. Well, it's been fantastic. Thank you, George. Brilliant. Thank you, Perry. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Kronk. And thank you, most of all, Yusuf yeah. Gulam Hossein. Uh, fantastic. Lovely Thanks seeing you all. On. And uh, you're all looking fit as butchers' dogs and uh, all good. Nice to see you all. Thank you very Sexy. much. Sexy. Sexy Yusuf. Ciao. Sexy. As-